The Weekly Harvest, an in-depth look at the Brandon Weekings and the WHL. Washman trying to come up with it for Allison. Here's Allison right in front. He scores! Brandon Junior Hockey fans, you've waited two decades for this. In the league's 50th anniversary, your Wheat Kings are the champions. Hey, good week once again. Welcome to the Weekly Harvest. We talk all things Brandon Wheat Kings. Of course, QCountryFM.ca. All the podcasts available at QCountryFM.ca. Q Country, the official home of the Brandon Weekings, all the broadcasts, the Crow's Nest, and the podcast here. Weekly Harvest presented by Coors Light, the official beer of the Brandon Weekings. How are you doing this week? My name is Falco. He's Brandon Crow. Crow, this is uh, this is a pretty awesome Monday that we are recording this. Not oh, not not even twelve hours removed from uh, a big night in Weeking history. In in an odd, unique night in Weeking history. A big night for sure, but it'll go down in the history books as one of the strangest, most unique, most different seasons in Western Hockey League history as the Brandon Weekings win the Subway Cup, which, I mean, there was a lot of confusion around it, yeah, especially yesterday, right before game time, but we'll talk a little bit more about the actual trophy presentation that's expected on Wednesday. But the 14th division title, you can't take that away. You can put an asterisk next to it, but there will be a banner hanging in the rafters at the Keystone Center, and what a season it was. Uh, Brandon now 18-3-2 with one game left. They're the best team in the East. No one else can catch them. What a run. It's hard to believe we're here. Is it, doesn't it feel like just yesterday we were just piling into training camp and, and going full steam ahead? I, it's hard to believe that it's end of April already. We we knew that this was going to be a season like no other that was going to go faster than any other, any other year. When we looked at the schedule, we knew that we were averaging a game just over every two days. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, I thought when we got to the halfway point, we were talking about that, thinking about how the second half was going to seem like it was so much longer because we were in the thick of it. But again, when the guys are winning and it's so much fun, it seems like it just got even faster. And then now here we are. Like we only got the one game left. And it has just been wild to see in this last little bit here. Um, your team leaders... As we're broadcasting this, you got Lyndon McCallum, who's not only leading the team, but leading the league in goals after his performance, which, of course, we are going to break down oh, uh, here. We're going we're, we're to talk all about his week and his game last night. But Lyndon right now leads the team with 19 goals. You got Ben leading with assists, 24. Ben McCartney, also the point leader, sitting at 37. Schneids is at plus 21 on the season right now. That's your leader there. And then you got uh, Krugs with 13 wins and a 9.15 save percentage. That is an absolutely incredible year for them to get that done in 23 games so far in this hub, in these conditions. And when you look at, uh, at what they've accomplished, Crow, not only winning the division, but doing so now in these circumstances and against teams that, before we got into this, the Wee Kings were not the favorites to come out on top. You know, we could have, you know, had great feelings about, about them. Of course, we're, you know, sometimes like big cheerleaders. Uh, at least I am. I always think our team's the best no matter what. But uh, you know, a lot of the experts were kind of saying that Wee Kings probably going to finish third or fourth. Um, and what they've been able to come out here and do, the veterans, what, what, how they've uh, led by example, how the rookies have followed suit, the amount of... Uh, just pure excitement that the Wee King fan base is going to have 
knowing what was accomplished here, even though they didn't get to see it live in person, only got to see it on the screen, knowing what, uh, what's been set up and, uh, all of what I'm sure the lessons passed down from the veterans to the rookies in this is just absolutely invaluable and beating teams along the way, like the Winnipeg ice, the ice have five losses this season, five, four of them are to the Brandon Weekings. <laughs> Isn't that something? <laughs> you th- really think about that. Only one Saskatchewan team, I don't know who it is right now off the top of my head, only one team has beat the Winnipeg Ice out of the Saskatchewan teams. And uh, thanks to that sweep, your Weekings are now uh, division champs. So uh, absolutely incredible. Um, you know, for those veterans who aren't going to be returning, whoever they are, what a what a great way to go out. Wednesday is going to be a very special game uh, as well, which we're going to talk about. But uh uh, I'm just, I don't know about you, Crow. I'm running on like, this is one of those days too. I was up till after three o'clock in the morning and I had to take my kids to school this morning. So I'm running on like four hours of sleep. So I still feel very much like it's still kind of the day of, like, I'm, I feel like we're still kind of buzzing from last night. Um, just so much excitement, so much excitement. Even got my gold rush t-shirt on. I pulled this out of the yeah, closet. I haven't worn this in, I haven't worn this in, in, in a few years, but, uh, uh, the gold rush, man. Uh, I, I really wish that we had more hockey to play for now, but uh, you know, if this is what we get, then it was very, very exciting. You ran over some of the uh, numbers of the the leaders. Here's a couple other numbers that I want to throw at Week King fans that come out of my media kit that goes out to to the media prior to the game. Brandon scored the first goal of the game 14 times this year, and they're 12 one and one when they score the game's first goal of the game. Brandon has had. 14 leads after the first period. When Brandon has a lead after the first period, they're 13-0-1. When Brandon has a lead at the second intermission, they're 16-0. When Brandon allows three or less goals, they're 16-1-1. So, like, it's just, it's shocking when you look through some of these numbers. And, you know, you look at uh, the season series. Prince Albert, Brandon, 3-1. Moose Jaw, 3-0-1. Regina, 3-0-1. Swift Current, 4-0. Winnipeg, 4-0. The only team that's given Brandon real fits here is Saskatoon, and they're going to meet on Wednesday. But here's a funny stat for you, too, and we talked about this last night in the broadcast, uh, and this will kind of lead into our conversation about Lyndon McCallum and how he has just busted out here. So he scored four goals in two minutes and 58 seconds. Yes, there was an intermission in between, but officially four goals in two minutes and 58 seconds for his first career hat trick and first four point game, all the goals scored on the power play. Now I put it out there to our loyal fan base and said, what's the fastest four goals by a single player in WHL history. And boom, I got a response right away. So in two minutes and 35 seconds back on October 7th, 1972, Boyd Anderson scored four straight goals as the medicine at Tigers beat the Flynn flan bombers. So Lennon McCallum, just 23 seconds off that mark. But that shows you it's been done twice since 1972. So it's shocking uh, what he did last night. Um, and then going back to Saturday, he had two more power play goals. Six power play goals in two games for Linda McCallum. He is the player of the week this week in the WHL presented by Journey Awards. Um, shocker. Unbelievable. Shocker unbelievable. there. Yeah. yeah. Like, who else are you going to give it to after who that? Who votes for that? Who, who found that stat for you? Who found it? Um, let me check my Twitter because because was, we uh, have some very helpful fans who I, I would like for us to give shout outs. Um, right away, my thought was, was it Diana? Because no, because <laughs> she's been fantastic for Weeking fans who don't follow uh, Diana. You go and you'll see like we've liked some of her tweets um, and, and even retweeted. Hopefully you can see that. Uh, the, and we follow her, of course, too. Um, she's always helping out. She's fantastic. 
Actually, well, was a fella later on, later on the Boyce. pod, when we're wrapping up, we're doing emails. You have to remind me. I'm going to tell the story about when we first met Diana years ago when she was uh, living on the colony. I got, I got to tell that story. Yeah, uh, she's been so good to me when it comes to random stats and stuff, and and we'll t- I, I we'll tell the rest of that story later. But it was Derek Boyce, Derek nine one one on Twitter. Uh, he he's not a very he doesn't use Twitter a lot. He's only got, he only follows forty three people and only has four followers. No profile picture, no banner picture, nothing. But he had but the he info. Was like, he was there for he you. He had the info. Had a boy. And so thanks, Derek Boyce, for that. Uh, I went and double checked it. And he's right. That was the fastest four goals by a single player. Um, what was anyway, it? Yeah, what was Linden. incredible for me is the fact that all four of those came on the power play, and it wasn't a major. Like, if it was a major, and you have a five minutes, and you keep oh, scoring, right. I've seen that. But it was different penalties. There was one double minor in there, but besides that, there was three penalties that he scored on in that time frame. So, I mean, not only were the goals happening, but the fact that... It, and that one penalty, I missed it, Kelly missed it, you missed it, because you didn't know what happened. After the goal, something happened, and, and they and they took a penalty. Um, never even saw what it was on the, on the replay. But again, that led to the next chance, and uh, it was just uh, what a night for Linden. And the game started off, too. You know, you talk about getting that, about uh, those massive goals from him, which, you know, of course, won and, and won the game and sealed the deal. But the first goal of the game for our NHL prospects to team up like that, that was a whole lot of fun. Uh, we're shorthanded. You take a draw in your own zone. Fresh power play. They're thinking, here we go. We, we, we're we're, we're going to try and put some pressure on the old Weekings. Well, Wheaties win the draw. They take it up the ice charging. It goes McCartney to Schneider. Schneider back to McCartney. And McCartney goes over to Ridley Gregg, who scores the shorthanded goal. Of course. Of course it's Ridley Gregg with another shorty. But uh, for them to get that goal to start off right away, I was like, hey, highlight of the night. I started to clip it. I was like, I'm going to make the highlight now. And then all of a sudden, Linden does that in 258. And it's like, okay, forget that. I mean, this was the highlight of the night. Him scoring four goals all in the power play that short amount of time. Incredible story. And for the and for the hometown guy to, to do it and all the love that he got on social media after, um, you know, to obviously help clinch the East Division in this uh, in this crazy year. Uh, even some emails about him, too, in the email inbox, which we're going to get into after the interview a little bit later. Um, everything's been happening so fast and furious with the wrap-up to the season, Crow, that uh, this week, unfortunately, I was not able to join for the interview portion of the podcast uh, because uh, last week uh, it was done uh, during work hours in the work week. But uh, you were able to uh, to sit down and talk to an incredible young man. Yeah, Caleb Dahlgren, uh, of course, people know the name. Uh, of course, he was one of the uh, more outspoken survivors of that humble Bronco bus crash, uh, doing a lot for mental health and uh, he wrote a book uh, called Crossroads, and it's for five weeks in a row. It's the number one best-selling book in Canada. And you know, I've obviously got a connection with Humble. That's where I started my career. Um, and uh, you know, I, I actually called some of Caleb's Junior A games back when he was with the Notre Dame Hounds back in 2015. So, um, you know, I, I reached out. At, my wife Brandy ordered me the book. Uh, unfortunately, I haven't been able to return home to get it. And I, I said, when I got the book, I thought, hey, you know what? I'm going to see if I can. Uh, I'm going to see if I can talk to Caleb because, you know, he's such an interesting young man and to be, Oh geez, we got some sirens going by boy. Before I finish that thought, I cannot wait to get back to the farm where I can open my windows and hear nothing. <laughs> Silence. You're missing the just, farm life, eh? Being nothing, stuck in the hotel in Regina. God, here the, for... the, the loudness of the traffic and the sirens is driving me nuts. But if people uh, can anyway, see yeah, Crow's face right now, it is a classic, like, this is a uh, farmer boy being put in the city and he just wants to go it's back. It's just so uncomfortable. Like, 
and there's people like I'm a people person. I'm a very social guy. I love going out for dinners and out for drinks and having fun with the boys, but you can't do Boy, that right being now. in a city, there's just too many people. Like, just go away. Like, I just, <laughs> there's just way, too, there's just too many people. So you gotta get Crow back to the farm. Okay, yeah, get me out of here. But anyway, yeah, Caleb Doggers, yeah, I guess this week, great, great, uh, great interview. Uh, we didn't, I didn't. One thing I, I want the fans to know uh, that are listening today is that I didn't want to ask Caleb specifically about the accident because a, I find that that's a very sensitive topic, and I didn't want to put him on the spot. He talks about his accident in the book and he goes into full detail about what, what happened on that day. So I'm going to leave that to you to go out, purchase the book, read it and find out more about it. As a hockey fan, you're listening to this. I know that that Bronco bus crash touched you in some way, shape or form. So anyway, enjoy the interview today when we get to it and uh, go out, get the book Crossroads by Caleb Dahlgren, number one bestselling book for five weeks in a row in Canada. So everybody wants to hear that right now. Well, when we get back, though, we are going to uh, talk about what's going to happen at the final game. Well, we do know about uh, any postgame presentations and uh, we'll get into the email inbox and more and wrap things up. The Weekly Harvest is presented by Coors Light, the official beer of the Brandon Week Kings. And we're joined uh, this week uh, by Caleb Dahlgren, who's a junior hockey player, a university student, and now a published author. And Caleb, it's it's probably something you never really pictured yourself doing when you sat down as a young kid that you were going to be a published author. But now that your book's been out for a while, uh, what's the reaction been uh, for you now as an author? Yeah, it's weird to even call myself an author, not going to lie. But the reaction has been unbelievable. And it's, it blew me away. So many people have said how amazing it is and how they've touched with them and they've connected with it. Well, they even took something away, which is the whole goal of the story and book, honestly, was to hopefully have someone take it away and help others throughout my story and sharing it. So it's, uh, it's been quite amazing and uh, really looking forward to hearing some more stories about it too. Well, and here's the thing. Let's, let's, let's go back to the start of your young hockey career. Now, obviously growing up in Saskatchewan, uh, I imagine you started hockey early. What were, what do you remember from your early days as a young hockey player? I remember uh, the very first kind of thought was the wind going through my hair as I was skating, the noise my skates were making. Those are like the two things I absolutely loved about hockey. And also the cold breeze. When you like breathed out, you see the little <laughs> air particles. So I thought that was, those were like the three things I loved about hockey growing up. Um, I can remember lots of stories of being in hotels, having many sticks in the hallways, big pool parties, uh, bus rides, the team, and even like winning championships too. But I think the one I remember most is just being in the hotel and playing many sticks in the hallway and having people get mad at us because we were playing May sticks in the hallway. So it's I funny. think those are some of the best memories. Yeah, you're, you're only a few years uh, younger than me. I was born in 91, you're in 97, and I have identical memories to you. Uh, I remember the when you get to that hotel and it's you know maybe not just one team, but now there's two teams and you got two <laughs> yeah. floors crashing and banging. Oh, man, those... Those are the memories that stick with you. It's funny now that you're an adult that you still think about those. So uh, what led you to going to Notre Dame? Because that's a very unique situation, especially in the junior hockey world, because of the circumstance surrounding the school and having to move into, you know, kind of a a different living situation than a billet. So talk us through your decision to go to Notre Dame. So I was actually listed by Notre Dame when I was 15 years old. And uh, it was by them and Kindersley. And I chose Notre Dame. And uh, at the time, there was no draft. You get to choose where you go. Every team could list you in Saskatchewan if they wanted to. And then you get to choose where you go. Um, and so for me, I wanted to go there because of the prestige and because they're so hockey driven. And I've always been super, super hockey driven. And I'd love to just practice, work out, shoot pucks, eat, breathe, sleep hockey all day, every day. 
So it was no brainer for me to go there when I was in my 18 year old year. I actually was asked to stay a part of the team as an underage, my 17 year old year. But I ended up turning that down to go back to North Balford AAA for another year, just because I wanted to experience North Balford as a leader on the team. I wanted to live with my billets again one last year. And I knew I had three years left of junior. And I didn't really want to rush the process. I thought I'd be able to develop more with another year of AAA. So having the prestige of being an underage in the SJHL, I thought it just been a better development route for me. And so went back to North Balford and then right after the season was got called up to Notre Dame for their SJHL playoff finals. And it was able to play in a couple of games there. And that kind of sold me on staying with the Hounds for that next year. And uh, really just loved the Olympic size ice and loved the, like I said, the prestige of being a Notre Dame Hound and so much, uh, I guess, history there. And yeah, it was a super cool experience for me. And like you said, we didn't live with Billis. We lived in a dorm together. So we had a junior dorm that was separate from the school that was still like just across the street from the rink. So you literally take like 50 steps <laughs> and then you're at the dorm. So it's hilarious because you go to the rink whenever you want. So I definitely abused that power and I was at the rink all day, every day. Uh, I loved it. It was awesome. I was had, well, one of the strength and conditioning uh, cleanup crew coaches or I can monitor the gym. And I also helped out with timekeeping and uh, just watching hockey. So it was it was a dream come true for me. It really is uh, one of those places that, uh, you know, as a young kid, you, you can only dream about, right? I mean, you eat, sleep and breathe hockey. Interestingly enough, uh, you and I do have a bit of an overlapped connection. I was actually... Uh, the radio guy for the Melfort Mustangs in that championship season uh, cool. in which Melfort beat Notre Dame in the final in a four-game yep. sweep. So uh, it's yep. funny how uh, the hockey world is so small. I actually didn't – I you know, I'd looked at your elite prospects, but I never put that together until you just mentioned it. But, um, you know, so then you go to Humboldt. Now, I understand that this was – was it an asked, requ- requested trade? Or just talk us through your transition to Humboldt because I believe it had something to do with another topic I want to talk about with your Dahlgren's diabetes. Yeah. So when I was in Notre Dame, I was fortunate enough to be a part of Juno Diabetes Research Foundation, uh, which is a program for type 1 diabetics. And it's to promote a cure for type 1 diabetes. So I, was, I joined that with Connor McLean, who's one of my teammates. And we we're the only two in the SJHL with diabetes at that time. And uh, he kind of told me like, hey, you got to do this. this. is awesome. It's great. So I hopped on board and I never looked back. And I knew I wanted to give back to the diabetic community at a young age. Um, I didn't know how. And then when I was 16 in North Balfour, I helped one of my buddies through his challenges. He was just newly diagnosed. And so I kind of helped him through that. He said, yeah, it was so much support and help. Like you, you literally helped my life, man. Like, thank you. And that's kind of when it hit me. Like I could really do something for the type one diabetic community by sharing my story. So that's why I joined GRF, like I said, two years later or a year later. And then um, I still didn't feel really fulfilled. I had this dream plan. I really wanted to achieve it and do it. But I didn't think... Wilcox was the right place to start it just because it was a small town of 400 people. And I wanted something a bit bigger where there's more fan support, more rallying around the team. And so I thought I'll have to have to ask out, which was the hardest choice of my oh, career sure. by far. And because I loved it in Notre Dame and I was assistant captain my 19 year old season. And I wanted to be a leader in my 20 year old season there too. So it was a really difficult situation, but I just didn't feel fulfilled would be the best way to describe it. And so then I finally asked it and it was a tough conversation. And um, then I got traded at Humboldt and first phone call, I told Darcy about the program I wanted to start. And he's like, yep, hundred percent in. So uh, it was amazing just to have his support. He's like, if we can do anything, let me know. So I created a draft, send it to the, uh, I created an outline of what you want as the plan and send it to the staff and I'll carry it on from here. 
And so just the support was incredible. So I ended up creating a mentorship program called Dahlgren's Diabetes, which I'm sure you're going to ask about. So I was just going into detail right now. Floor's <laughs> yeah. um, <Where's> yours, Caleb. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just know you're going to ask about it. So um, the mentorship program is for type 1 diabetic children. And I grew up, I felt alone. I uh, didn't really have that person to look up to. You could argue Bobby Clark, but he was before my time. Right. And then Max Domi is only two years older than me. So we didn't, we didn't really have that person to look up to per se. And I couldn't have YouTube at the time to look up Bobby Clark's highlights and to see what he would do because I was, wasn't that old yet. Um, so for me, it was more of just a platform that I could use in my hockey to help young children achieve their passion and dreams, let them know they can and that they have to manage their diabetes and not let them manage them. And so what I did was I'd invite a type one diabetic and her family out to, I guess, Johnny's Bistro for a pregame meal. Johnny's Bistro. And then, <laughs> and then afterwards, uh, they'd come to the rink, wear the diabetes jersey, and uh, participate in a ceremonial face-off. And so the fans would go wild for the ceremonial face-off after they dropped it. And it really made the diabetic feel beautiful. And I wanted the diabetic child to really feel like, I am capable of this, or I am beautiful, or I should be celebrated. So then afterwards, uh, they watch a game and then I go upstairs once the game is over and chat with them about my diabetes and my life and how I had to conquer some things and just some tips and tricks. And lastly, I guess I see a care package too. I forgot about that. They got a couple diabetes swag care packages. And then afterwards, uh, they'd be inducted into the diabetic Facebook group chat and uh, I'd go to their school and do a presentation on type 1 diabetes. So that way I was able to create awareness and I was able to make them feel beautiful, have them feel a part of a team and also be there for any questions that they have, such as what happens on the weekend when you go camping or how does your blood sugar levels change during games or practices, or even like, how do you tell your partner about your diabetes? And so just those kind of questions that I would have had as a kid that I never got answered would have been great. And so I wanted to create this program to help them for that. Right. And you were diagnosed at a very early age, if I'm not mistaken. So, and mm -hmm. especially in the, in, you know, in the nineties, you're right. The, you know, the internet wasn't really a huge thing yet. Whereas now a young kid, you know, a parent could give them a, probably a kid's show that's talking about diabetes, but you didn't yep. have that. So how old were you when you got it? And, and how much of a fight was it with your parents, uh, you know, to probably go through the, the needles and the finger pricks and everything else? Well, exactly. I diagnosed when I was four. And at the time, I'm not sure if anyone listening to this has a four-year-old in their life, but it's still hard for you to comprehend exactly what it is. Right. So I was at the hospital, I was getting poked and prod with needles, didn't like it whatsoever. And I even told my parents, I hate this doctor's house. I'm going to throw this chair through the window. And so like, they knew I didn't like it. And that was the first time I ever used the word hate. And um, so I wasn't really happy with that. So as soon as I got released from the hospital, I thought the needles were done. I was so happy. I was home free. Finally, I can just go home and relax and not have to deal with the needles. And then about 20 minutes later, I had to get another needle. Oh. And, that was, and that was when it was so hard on my parents and me too. The first three to four months were just difficult. We had a tough time. They'd be always, every time I get a needle, I'd be hide and go seek, but I didn't want to be found. <laughs> and it was so difficult because they had to pin me down and I even questioned them saying like, why are you hurting me? You don't love me. It right. was really hard. And then I finally kind of came to terms with it after the four months of them saying, Hey, you need this to survive. You really need these needles to survive. And that was the whole idea. It was just, I do need needles to survive. So I need to get used to it and acclimatize myself to it and move forward with it because I can't just sit in this why phase or ask why me, how, how come this is happening? I just have to accept it and move forward. 
And right, so and that's, that's what makes, you know, what you did in, you know, I, and I know that in my time in the SJHL, the uh, Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation was a big part of it. And then, you know, they did have, um, you know, some information go out to the players and, and the odd school visit and that sort of thing. But I, I remember, you know, hearing wind of this and what you did. And I think, I think a lot of young kids now look back on that and go, wow, you know what? He, he did this, you know, he was able to reach, you know, the college hockey level or play junior hockey. And, you know, he's still, he's a healthy young adult that, you know, if you looked at him, you're not going to notice that Caleb Dahlgren mm-hmm. has diabetes. So uh, tip of the cap to you for, for what you did there for the young kids. So now let's, let's turn your attention to Humboldt. Now, a, a lot of people, you know, obviously, you know, weren't really paying attention. It was right around the playoff time. You know, I know fans in the SJHL, they're a little bit, they usually wait a little bit too long to get excited. And, you know, for you guys in the playoffs, the fans are really starting to get into it. It was right at that point where, you know, you guys had had a great season. So before we get to, of course, the 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 incident uh, on the highway, let's talk about the season because you guys had a great year and really had put together, you know, a miraculous season going right to the playoffs and we're starting to make some noise. Yeah, we were. We were even throughout the season, we knew we had a really good team in our dressing room and we knew what we had and we were capable of. And the whole idea at Humboldt was to go for it and win it all. And that was the thing we wanted to do was just to continue pressing, continue improving every day. And eventually it'll pay off in the long run. So we had belief in our dressing room for sure. And even like you said, before we had a great season and we ended up like doing very well against Melford, who was supposed to be the ones that were going to win it all because they had Nippon's number all year. And I even remember when we beat Melfort in a four to one series, um, everybody was just their whole like fan base at Humboldt was so pumped and amazed. And even the SJHL league, people were like, wow. Okay. So Humboldt's here to play because if they beat what it should have been the number one winning team, the one that should have won it all, then we got to be careful. So then even in Nippa, when we had leads in the game of blue, in the third, especially, and even in, yeah, Blues boom third and then went to overtime and lost with Nippon. So it could have literally been three to one for us in the series, too. There's two games we for sure had a lead in blue. Um, and it, yeah, it could have been three to one. So, anyways, we were really, really prepared and knew what we had to do to move back to Nippon that Friday night on the sixth. We were really prepared and good to go, but we had tons of belief in our dressing room, too, and we had great leadership. Um, from shots, he being captain there for three years. And, um, I think we really bonded together and gelled and we had that chemistry that you need to win a championship. We all wanted to be with each other. So that was big. Yeah. And that seems to be the story that a lot of people really, um, kind of gravitated to was the, the closeness of the team. And I know in times, you know, being in the media myself, you can sensationalize things, but, you know, mm-hmm. truly when you look back at, you know, the, the photos and the records, I mean, you, you could tell compared to other teams you've been on specifically that, you know, that was a special group, right? Mm-hmm, for sure. It was a special group. And I was fortunate enough to have lots of special groups throughout my hockey career and championship teams who have won it all or been close. And that was the exact same group too. And I feel like we were really, really prepared to go back to Nippon and take it and make a series of that because I really... I think we had it in us and we had that group who were mentally tough and who were ready to go and who wanted to be with each other. Like even with our bachelor Mondays, you'd have 15 plus guys <laughs> of our 23 man roster of bachelor Mondays. And it's hilarious because it's not even really a, like a hockey show or anything. It's literally just some reality TV show. And so I think lots of the guys just came to be with the other guys and it was just time to bond instead of watching the show, just bonding time. And that was the part that I think really, I really liked and enjoyed was that 
we were able to all come together from all different ways of life and bond. Right. And so I, I don't want to give away, you know, what's in your book, because I know you go basically right up to the moment of the accident and then you mm-hmm. begin talking about the recovery and everything afterwards. So I'll, I'll leave that to the folks that can purchase the book Crossroads and, and read it for themselves uh, right from, you know, your pen onto the paper. But in the weeks after the accident and, and everything that you saw from the hockey world, I mean, it, does it still surprise you? Are you still shocked a little bit how the entire world rallied around your group? Like, where, where is your mind when you think of how many people reached out, the donations and everything that went on in the weeks after the accident? Yeah, it honestly still leaves me speechless. I'm not going to lie. It still leaves me speechless. And there's no way to describe how big it really was. And I didn't even realize how big it was because I was in a hospital and I wasn't really out in public. I had social media, but I didn't really look at it too much. But afterwards, it just, once I got out of the hospital, it actually hit me. Everything, everywhere I went, there was something green and gold, whether it was a sticker on someone's vehicle, sticks out on their porch, um, signs on the street saying Humboldt Strong everywhere and if i even went anywhere i was recognized so i was like really when it hit me just how big it was and the support truly meant the world honestly i i couldn't i couldn't say how more thankful i am for it and how much it helped me in my healing process because it's always nice to know you don't want to have somebody in your corner but having the whole world in your corner is just speech leaves me speechless still so i'm very very grateful for it and seeing all these different ceremonies that people had at the NHL across the seas. And even like person from Iraq, uh, Iraq came to visit me in hospital and they, uh, yeah. So they security guard on my floor. I was on my way to physio and security guard on my my floor was like, Hey, um, just wondering if you want to meet a person from Iraq. I was like, okay, sure. (laughs) And so I'm on my way to physio. Like, are they going to be there? She's like, yeah. So, okay. Sounds good. So on my way to physio, I end up stopping and meeting this person. And she ended up flying from Iraq to meet a Humboldt Bronco. She saw it on the news. She had a family member that lived here. She came to fly here to meet a Bronco and visit her family member. And her family said, you need to meet a Bronco. So there's just that hit me, just how far reached I went to Iraq, which I never would have thought. No, especially not really a a hockey hotbed by any means. So um, you, you touched on, on your healing, and we'll get to the, the mental healing later and the therapeutic, um, you know, writing of the book. But for yourself, mm-hmm. uh, let's, let's talk about the physical recoveries, because I know that you're still trying to get back into a regular game shape. So uh, physically, how are you? What, what sort of things are you currently still maybe dealing with a little bit? And, and how close are you to getting back into the lineup here for the York University Alliance? Yeah, so I suffered a fractured skull, puncture wound. Skelby loving, so the side of my whole head was shaved off, uh, like road rash. And then I suffered a traumatic, severe traumatic brain injury, uh, broken neck, broken back, uh, blood clots, ligament, muscle damage, and nerve damage. And so throughout all that, the only thing that's not healed is my brain injury. Right. And uh, that's the tough part about it. And I really describe it deeply in the book about how severe of a brain injury it actually is. And Based on the images that the doctors saw, I shouldn't be able to remember my name, how to walk or how to talk. So I'm fortunate enough to not have that prognosis and not not be exactly in that state. But I'm scared because I could end up back in that state. And that's the doctors have said is that maybe if I do take another hit, I could end up back in that state. So right now, um, 
I have no symptoms either. The only symptom I have is slow ability of reading and that I need to get a good solid sleep to fully function at my highest capacity. But I feel like everybody has that, but me might be a little bit more hours of sleep than the other person, but that's really it. And I'm so fortunate to have that as my only really issue with myself. And um, yeah, it's something hard to take in. And so I've had to sit out, like you said, for at least three years now. Um, and the first year was definitely the hardest because I was able to really practice and work out with the team by just didn't do any contact. And guys and coaches would be like, hey, you look really good. We'd love to have you in lineup. You look amazing. And I was doing great. And I was passing all these tests. And I was like exceeding on these tests. And I'm just passing them, but like breaking records on these tests. And doctors were like, this is so weird. This is not normal. Um, and so it was difficult for me. Even when one doctor said, like, you should even go to York University. You should take one class online, stay at home. Because of the stress and on your that, brain with, with studying and things? Yeah, stress on my brain with studying. But even moving to Toronto, living on my own in Toronto, having a new team, having a new campus, um, cooking, cleaning. And then on top of that, being a student athlete. So you're at the rank for at least four hours a day. Or I, yeah, four hours a day five i drink at least five hours a day and then on top of that you still have your classes and so he says way too much you're gonna fail you're not gonna do well you're gonna go down a bad path and so that was kind of my motivation though too was like okay if you're gonna tell me this i'm gonna prove you wrong kind of thing but i had lots of people over my corner who wanted me to succeed too so yeah it was it's been hard on the recovery train but uh i've been able to work through it and take on a recruiting role last year with the team um, I was really fortunate to have that. So I was recruiting and also strength and conditioning coach. So I took on those two roles while I was in the stands and also did lots of volunteer work for a team, uh, was our team representative on student council. So I was, I did lots of other stuff that I still could be a leader in at, but just couldn't play on the games Friday and Saturday. Right. And, and at the end of the day, I mean, your education and what you do in life is ultimately going to define you far more than how many CIS university hockey games you played. So, I mean, at least you've got that uh, mindset because I know it, it, it's a tough um, realization to come to uh, that, you know mm-hmm. what, hey, maybe I have to do other things, um, you know, here in the, in the hockey world. So let's talk about the healing and the book because, like you said, you never pictured yourself being an author. I mean, was this something that you wanted to do? Did somebody approach you? Did you just have a notepad that you were scribbling things down? How did this all come about? Yeah. So right after the crash, I ended up writing down all my thoughts into my notes on my phone. And it was kind of my cathartic way of healing, which is getting something out and on something. And so I wrote in my notes on my phone. I'm not really a huge writer per se. It's more of a typer. Uh, but that was just something that I kept to myself. I didn't tell anyone about it. Nobody knew I had notes on my phone about my thoughts or my perception or what I was thinking or feeling. And it was a great way for me to cope. And then also I was talking to people about it and was really open and vulnerable with them, but never once thought a book would be in the picture. Um, fast forward to 2019, the uh, start of it, I ended up doing my first ever speaking engagement about my life because I had always talked about diabetes and I had done diabetes speeches right. before um, with the Dollar's Diabetes and also JDRF. But this is my first speech talking about my life. So I talked about my diabetes and then I talked about my dad and him being sick and almost passing away. And then talked about the Broncos and aftermath and how I'm moving forward from it. And so did that speech. And right after the speech, a person came up to me and was like, hey, you need to write a book. And I was like, I'm not writing a book. Thank you, though. It's not, it's not for me. I'm a student athlete. 
I'm in courses right now. I don't have time for that. I'm not going to write a book. Thank you, though. Really appreciate that. Glad, I, glad you think so. And then do another one. And I only did a couple that summer. I did another speech. And same response. But this time, there's like even more people saying, hey, like you have a story that needs to be told. This story needs to be known by a lot of people. I thought, well, I don't think so. I'm good, thanks. I'm, just, I'm okay. Um, and I began DMs from people saying, hey, like you've changed my life. Your perspective is amazing. I'd love to hear more about it. I think you should write a book. And a lot of people were just throwing this book term at me. So I talked to my agent. I was like, okay, what's going on? Why are people saying if you're writing a book? He's like, well, you do have an amazing story. And he said, your story does really, truly help people. And you, one other person literally told me I saved their life. And so when I heard that, that's when it really hit me. I was like, maybe I do have a story that can impact others. And maybe I should look into this a bit more. So it kind of presented itself the opportunity. Um, it was in late, I guess, late, uh, early October, I guess, of 2019. And uh, HarperCollins was in touch with my agent and talked a bit and I guess kind of worked out from there. But uh, I ended up really having a tough time accepting it and wanting to move forward with the book because one, I was in school, I was in five courses. Right. Two, I was in a, a student athlete. So I wasn't just a student, I was a student athlete in five courses. And I was taking on a recruiting role that year. I was in strength and conditioning role that year, um, student council role that year. And then I also had about three or four other volunteering stuff on the extracurriculars. So I had like JDRF, Diabetes Canada, Dahlgren's Diabetes, and then I had uh, Canadian Volunteer Awards. So I was already really, really busy. So adding a book on top of that would have been just, I would have been horrible. I would have had zero time. So I was like, I don't know about this. And then I even didn't know if I was ready to share my story either. And that was another big part was if I was really ready to give myself to the world and open myself and be that vulnerable with everyone that I had in my phone that I hadn't shared ever before. And so I didn't know about that. And I didn't know if the families were ready for it. I want to be aware of them and their healing processes too, but also aware of my healing process. And so I ended up talking to Haley Wickenheiser and just saying, Hey, Haley, I got a question. And her and I became really close after the crash and still are close today. And I said, Hey, like, what do you think of this? And she's like, your story would change people's lives for sure. Why wouldn't you do it? And I said, well, yeah, I, I don't know. I'll think about it. And so went back to it, thought about it. And so I was sitting in class one day, still not really thinking I was going to write a book. And the teacher said, if you want to make change in the world, it starts with you. And that was when it really hit me. Light I do want to Ding. Yeah. Light oh, it just like switch on. I was like, yeah, I do want to make change in the world. I've lived my whole life trying to help others and have created so many things for other people. And this could be something that could truly help others. Right. So that was when I talked to my agent. I was like, yeah, I'm in. And uh, talked to all my friends, family, and they all agreed. And they were like, why wouldn't you be writing a book? It's such a cool opportunity to help others. And so I ended up donating a portion of proceeds to Stars Air Ambulance, who helped save lives on April 6th and honestly save lives every single day. And then after that, I wanted to talk about certain topics that aren't really discussed in many books, such as death, um, and diabetes and hope, family, resilience, loss, even mental health too, physical health. I really wanted to dive deep into those topics because I right now is such a great time for it, but also because these are what I've tried to carry throughout my life and value. So yeah, it was 
it's crazy how I ended up today and where I'm at, but we're here. I, and I like how it's kind of the story of people just kept annoying you to the point where you're like, okay, fine, I'll do it. <laughs> well, yeah, kind of like that. Yeah, yeah, kind of. But it was just more like I didn't believe my story could truly help others until right. I talked to other people and they're like, yeah, no, like your story could change lives. And I was like, well, then maybe, maybe I should do this. And it was cathartic in my healing process too, which was another aspect that I didn't know going into it either. Right. So, I mean, from, from my perspective, being in the media, you know, I, and being a, you know, a former radio voice of the humble Broncos, you know, I, I followed the story very closely. So I, I would argue that you're one of the most um, public faces of the survivors and the survivors families. Uh, is that, is that like a, a badge of honor that you wear? Or at first, was it something you weren't sure about being so public about your story? Or, you know, where do you see yourself in terms of, you know, some people heal differently, right? They heal quietly on their own, isolated, and you're the exact opposite. So in conversations with the other families, is that kind of just a, a badge of honor you wear as the most outspoken one? I think for me, it was put on to me. I actually didn't want the role whatsoever, to be honest. Um, it was right after the crash. We had, uh, after I started, after I got out of the hospital, we had a media group come up to me and say, hey, you're an assistant captain of the team. We know that you've done stuff with diabetes. Would you be okay doing an interview? I said, yeah, I'd like to do an interview to thank the world, just to say right. thank you. That was the whole idea was just to say thank you to the world and then say my piece and leave kind of thing. And that was it. So I did one. And in the interview, they didn't really share the whole list of thank yous I had. I had a list. And it was a full page. I read the full page of thank yous and they didn't share that part. And I was really, really mad about that. I was actually choked. And they asked like a couple other questions and that's what they shared. And so for me, it was so, it was frustrating because I wanted just to say thank you. And that was it. I just want to say thank you for all their support and that I'm doing well in healing and I'm going to heal on my own. Um, and then they said, okay, we need to do another two interviews. You have to do local ones because if you don't do local ones, they're going to be mad at you. Right. And we don't want bad rap with the local ones. And they've supported you so much. So, okay, sounds good. So I did too. Got my thank yous out in those ones and they were shared. So that was nice. Um, and then afterwards, they sat me down and they said, okay, like you have a natural ability of talking. You need to step up for this. Uh, we need somebody to talk because guys are getting bombarded and they're getting bugged by tons of people and it's frustrating some of the families. They said, you need someone to talk. I thought about it. I was like, I don't know if I can do this. I, I don't really feel comfortable. And I thought, well, I've been a leader my whole year here. Why would I stop after the crash? I've been vocal with the team in the dress room. I've been vocal in the community. Why would I stop now when I could truly help others who are going through tough times and not alleviate some of the pressure off the other surviving guys? Because I didn't, I knew what it was like to put myself out there and talk about it and how hard it was. I couldn't imagine them going through that too. And I didn't want them to go through that either. So if I had to take the brunt of it so that they could heal on their own and they could heal better on their own, then that'd be what I'd want. So I ended up doing that. And uh, it wasn't really the most fun time talking about the tragedy and bringing it up every single time. And there were some people that were like not happy about it either and say like, you don't need to share your story and all that. And I was like, yeah, I know it's fine. I get it. And I heal differently than you do. And that's okay too. And at the end of the day, we were all supportive of each other. And I think that's the great part is that we all do heal differently. And I did end up finding healing in it, the process too. I was able to kind of shift my mindset. Like, okay, maybe this isn't so bad. Maybe I can heal a bit from this and remember the 16 every time I talk about them 
and honor their legacy too. So then I wouldn't say I'm, <laughs> I don't like being known as the Broncos uh, voice or whatever, because I'm not, everybody has their own voice. And I think that every, every survivor has their voice. Every family has their voice. And I would not like to classify myself as that. I'm just a humble Bronco, not the humble Broncos. So, right. Um, and that's, yeah. and that's the thing too. Like, you know, uh, you know, when I was putting together with the marketing team at the, with the team and the radio station, you know, we, we always put together a graphic with who's the guest this week. And, you know, I kind of thought, well, how, you know, obviously he's an author, but he's so much more. How do I fit this all into the graphic? And I've always been of the type that doesn't like using the term survivor. I mean, I know you are mm-hmm. in more than one sense because of all the things you've dealt with, but I mean, that's the thing that I appreciate about the book and the way you've spoken out is that, Hey, you know what? Yeah, we are survivors. The, the, the guys that came out of it and are now doing great things. Yes, we're survivors, but we're so much more than that. So I think yeah. that's what I am excited about. I can't wait to read the book. Um, and, uh, I really look forward to getting home and sitting down and reading it, but uh, I want to finish on one final thought. You know, it's been, it's been th- three years now, I-, I believe, or what is it? Yeah. Three years now, uh, mm-hmm. since, since that day, you know, now that the book's out and you're doing the, a little bit of public speaking and time has gone on and allowed things to heal. W- when you talk to the other guys in the group, is it, is it more and more as time goes on, like the old school dressing room chatter and chirping and joking around in the group chat? It, is that page finally turned a little bit or is it still uh, a pretty raw thing to deal with as a group of, of guys that came away from that? Yeah, I don't want to talk for the others, but from my standpoint, uh, we do hang out every year. We try to plan a trip together and right now we're in the process of planning a trip together. And when we do get together, it is like those old times and that's what I love about it. We get to share those memories together and uh, also just have fun and just joke around like we used to. And I think that's super special. So I'm really looking forward to it. We've gone to Edmonton, Vegas, um, Kelowna, and last year was canceled due to COVID. Right. So hopefully try and figure out something for this year too. But yeah, we're really looking forward to it. And it's nice just to get back together and just let loose and have fun like you used to. Yeah, there's nothing quite like uh, a dressing room and uh, the things that go on in there. I mean, that's a whole nother book on its own. But Caleb, uh, lastly, tell us, uh, where where can people find this book? What's the best way for them to get the book? And is there still a portion going to Stars Air Ambulance? Tell us a little bit about yep. that. Yep, for sure. So there's a portion of proceeds going to Stars Air Ambulance and any purchase of the book, whether anywhere? it's audio, anywhere, like if audio, video, or sorry, audio uh, book or ebook, they all go to Stars. Um, and then they can get the book, honestly, anywhere books are sold. So Costco, Walmart, Indigo, Kohl's, um, chapters, McNally Robinson, anywhere you can get a book, that's where you can get it. And uh, you also get it online too. There's a link in my bio on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. But there's also, you just type in www.kaledalgren.com and there's a purchase option there. Or you can even just type in Crossroads Caleb and they'll come up too. So there you have it. Uh, Crossroads, uh, my story of tragedy and resilience as a humble Bronco by Caleb Dahlgren. And, uh, uh, Caleb, I appreciate you doing this. I know it seems a little bit odd. You know, you weren't a Western League guy and you don't really have a connection to the Brandon Weekings, but we love to tell junior hockey stories. And uh, this is a great one uh, in terms of that word resilience and you putting out this book. We wanted to help you promote it and maybe get a few Manitoba fans, uh, you know, uh, abreast of what Caleb Dahlgren's doing. So we appreciate you doing this and uh, thank you very much. Best of luck uh, the rest of the year. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me on here. I really do appreciate it.
Uh, thanks again to Caleb Dahlgren for taking the time to speak with uh, Crow here in this week's edition of the Weekly Harvest Podcast. Uh, Crow, before we go any further, I have got a couple of emails to bring on up here. Uh, we got one this week from Carol Ann and Clayton Wood just uh, saying that they're trying to catch up on all the shows. Well done. Uh, it's a very easy to catch up, by the way, if you are on uh, Apple, if you're on Google, Spotify, uh, Podbean, whatever it is. Appreciate you subscribing and downloading. I got a great email here. I want to read this to you, Crow, uh, from Richard Marsh. Now, Richard, no. Oh, my microphone one of the springs making a funny noise if you heard that uh richard was one of our winners uh, a couple weeks back from from the right. 50th uh, that we did um so we're gonna put this out here too how cool is this uh remember how we had richard and the other person i can't remember who it was right now but um they emailed us and said how much they wanted the tutu print and richard won the tutu print and the other person won the ivan provorov well richard has since reached out and said I'm totally cool with taking the Provorov and they can have the 2-2 print. So that 2-2 fan is going to hey, get that 2-2 it was poster. Chris Farmer. That's was what it was. Chris, Chris Farmer? Farmer. Yeah, that's it. Totally. So, uh, yeah, so in the end, Richard is just a really good guy. But uh, I, I, I got to love this story here. I got to read this to you. McCallum scoring four goals to clinch the championship for his hometown is an excellent story. I think hard work epitomizes this guy's career. I wanted to share a quick story about him. Back in the dark days of COVID, spring, summer, lockdown number one of 2020, no ice was available. Every night I take a walk after supper and every night you'd see McCallum in his garage gym, lifting weights, taking shots on net, often his dad side by side with him. 45 minutes later, I'd be on my route back home and the guys would still be there shooting puck after puck. I then thought how dedicated he was and how he'd be ready for an overage season. Now looking at the success he's had, 19 goals in 23 games, an integral part of the championship banner, I feel that he earned his success with all the hard work he put in on the driveway and in the garage gym. So kudos to him, and what an example for the younger players. That's wow. a just that, that's a that's a great little story there. Love that, Richard. So thank you for sending that that's email. Fantastic. Uh, I'm definitely going to pass it on to Lyndon as well and, and let him know. Um, you know, of course, we all been big Lyndon McCallum fans. Uh, I am going to miss the heck out of him when we go to schools and we do the TD Read to Succeed program. There's a couple of guys in my years here that I can just think of the top of my head. I could put them in front of a classroom and just trust 100% that what they say is going to be positive on the kids. It's going to be uh, for you know uh, a great educational development, and it's going to just come out uh, for not only positive for them, but for us and for the player. Linden is at the top of that list. Uh, he's like the top three. He is so well-spoken. He's such an intelligent guy. He's a guy that you always want to root for. And what he's uh, put in, obviously, the off-ice uh, uh, workout to try and get ready for this. And uh, he's had an incredible hub. You can only hope and imagine that when you think about the 20-year-old guys who you know, sometimes they do develop later um, in their junior career who have earned a chance to go pro, I think Linden falls into that category. He has come and he has proven this year that he can play some level of pro hockey, I believe, now oh, that he's sure. into his 20s. Now, the question is, in this crazy world where there's limited teams and things happening this year, we don't know how it's going to look like when those pro teams are picking up guys you know, for the taxi squads and for the playoffs and how that's going to work. But uh, I'd imagine, Crow, that he's got to be on some teams' radars that Lennon's going to be getting some calls here once the games wrap up. Yeah, and actually, it's funny you say that. I, I won't say which team, but I had uh, a representative from one NHL team reach out to me this morning. And let me just find the message here. Uh, where is it here? He said, um, boy, McCallum's really jumped off the page. Uh, and I said, uh, yeah, I said, he's really come a long way. And he goes, the thing with McCallum is that he's excelled at every level. 
despite the fact it's taken a little bit of time at each level to get his feet under him. So to me, that's a perfect example because even you go back to Bantam and Midget, coming off the, you know, the year before, he was really good. And then his first year at the next level was always a little bit of a feeling out process. And even you look at his first year in Brandon, it was a little bit slow getting going. He had some injury troubles. But once he gets going, he is like a snowball rolling down a hill. So I, I think there's definitely going to be some interest there. Um, I think you'd have to. If you're an NHL team and you're sitting here in the hub watching this, you got the leading scorer in the Western Hockey League, a big, tall guy, long stride, good personality, comes from an athletic family. Why Very intelligent. He's yeah, smart kid. In He's the, in school. In the, in the first half of the year when we weren't playing, he took three university courses, including things like linear algebra, um, some other mathematical equation. Like he's taking some some very very high end university courses, and even while he's playing in the hub, he's still taking lin- uh, linear algebra 2.0. So he's still Why? following this God. up while he's doing do this that? because, it, <laughs> as he says in the ed- educational video, he wants to get a degree. If it's at 23, if it's at 30, whenever he's done playing pro hockey, that's of course his goal. But now he's a super intelligent uh, young man, super impressed with the way this season has gone for him and yeah i really really hope that uh, that of course you know he gets a chance to to move on to pro and do some things here uh before we talk too much about that because there's a whole lot that we could talk about next week when it t- when it comes to you know guys that we're not going to be seeing back here in brandon or uh, you know going to be you know bubble guys next year with the 19 year old situation but crow for now we should talk about wednesday because wednesday's the final game of the subway whl hub the final game for your Brandon Wheat Kings as they take on the Saskatoon Blades. We now know that this game is just for one more game for, for bragging rights, but uh, regardless of the outcome, after the game on Wednesday, and luckily for the Manitoba fans, because of the because of the time, you're not going to have to stay up until like 11 o'clock at night to see this. After the game on Wednesday, the early game, there will be a presentation awarding your Brandon Wheat Kings the Subway Cup, which is kind of cool because hopefully, knock on wood, We'll never, ever have to do the Subway Hub again, and that means we'll never have to return that trophy. So we'll have a championship trophy that will always uh, now be ours. Forever. The uh, forever. forever the Subway Cup champions. Yes. No one can ever take it away from nope. us. Nope. <laughs> That's it. We are the Subway Cup champs for life. One of the... F- Go ahead. No, I just said, yeah, we're the Subway Cup champs for life. Oh, we don't God. know yet what the banner presentation is going to be, if that's going to be on the ice or if that's going to be uh, next fall. Again, about the color and how all that's going to happen. Uh, but... Uh, Regardless, I'm really looking forward to that Wednesday after the game is done, having that uh, having that presentation. Hopefully, it comes after another win. Um, that's always make it you know a little bit more sweet to finish off uh, with with the dub. But uh, regardless, the coaches, the players have to be so excited heading into this, kind of like a victory lap. You could almost hear it in in Don McGilvery's post game last night, and I don't know you were listening to it. You were on the Zoom call. He he sounded almost emotional yep. at one point, like. He had to stop and, and catch himself a little bit. And and that's where I say to some of the other people, and I don't even want to call them hockey fans. They don't even deserve to be called hockey fans. They're just keyboard warriors that are saying, you know, going right back to when this all started, where it's like, oh, it doesn't matter. It's exhibition. It's stupid. Scrap the season. It doesn't mean anything. Bite me. It doesn't mean anything. You listen to that post-game interview with Don McGilvery in his first year as an official full-time Western Hockey League coach, and you hear the emotion in his voice talking about what that win means to him and what it means to be part of that group of young men that he's lived with for two months. Normally a coach that, what's Donnie, 55, 56 years old? Normally a 56-year-old coach doesn't have to live with a bunch of teenage hockey players. But when you think about what the grind they have been through, and you could hear the emotion in his voice, 
that tells you all you need to know about how much this means to those players. I don't care if there's an asterisk next to this division title in the history books officially in the Western Hockey League for the next 150 years. This means something to those 25 players and the staff. And that is that makes this special. I, I think it's been capped off with you know a, a big climactic rise, seven-game winning streak, the big four-goal game. It, it's just been awesome. And I really hope that the Weeking fans at home listening to this and maybe listening to the broadcast yesterday and what they're going to hear from Les on Wednesday understand that this was a real special season, regardless of whether they were fans in the building or not. And this is something that you can build on. When you look at the fact, here's the other thing. Brandon wins this division, okay? So then they're going to lose their 20-year-olds. They might lose Schneider to pro, maybe. You know, we've got a few other things. Brandon could have two top six picks in this year's draft. They're going to have three picks in the first round. So this this slow rise to where they are now, this is this is heading into a real fun stretch of hockey for the Brandon Wheat Kings, and I just can't wait to get back to the Keystone Center. You touched on the color of the banner. All the banners in the Keystone are red, except for some of the early, early ones. I know there's that yellow one from the Memorial Cup in like 1948 or whatever it was. But would it not be a little unique? I joked about it at first. Would it not be a little unique if, if the there was a, a lime green East Division banner because of the subway colors? If because now for the next just, 50 years, you look up and see that. Here's a prediction. If it is, in fact, a lime green subway sponsored subway hub banner, I predict that uh, we would hang it on a wall somewhere and that we would get a replica made in red to match the ones in our To Raptors. match the decor. That's what I think the Wheat Kings would do. Now, I'm not saying that is what the team's going to yeah. do. Um, I think that's what my vote would be. I just I would much prefer to look up, because I love looking at our banners and the history. And, the continuity, yeah. And, yeah, and, and, and the fact that, yeah, there's an asterisk besides you know this season, kind of, but not so much for the division title. Like, there's no playoffs, there's no championship. If they were going to award the WHL championship based on percentages or something, that'd be a huge asterisk, and they would never probably, you know, they they couldn't do. But realistically, this is still a division title. We played every 100%. team in our division four times. Yes, it wasn't in their old buildings and the travel and and everything else, but this is straight up a division title. There's no ifs, ends, or buts about that. I, there is no asterisks. The other games that we missed were the games versus the central teams, versus the BC teams, versus the US, if it, you know, whatever the schedule is. These games were the games that were going to be played. There'd be a few more versus Winnipeg, and you know how it worked with Swift, but you know what I mean. This is, I, I think, as legitimate a division title as could be in, in, the, in the circumstances, more so than any other division. Because every other division has had games missed. Luckily, I'm going to knock on wood here. Luckily, we haven't yet, right? We've only got a couple more days to go. No games. Everybody's going to play the even amount that was supposed to happen. 24 games, four against everybody. So, I, I, I mean, whoever would win this? Even if it wasn't us, I'd be saying the same thing. This is completely yeah. le- completely legitimate. Um, yeah, I would not put an asterisk beside like the division title because these guys have earned it. Maybe even more so maybe even more so than a regular season because of the living conditions and what they've had to go through. Um, all the protocols being away from everyone. Uh, it's all the adjustments they've had to make. It's just incredible to think of what they've ended up doing here, putting together that uh, incredible, uh, these now two long winning streaks. Um, just awesome. Eight and now seven. And it's been, uh, yeah, just awesome. Awesome to watch. 
it's been a lot of fun. You mentioned, and, sorry, and before you go, you mentioned the, the first round picks. Just quickly, for those fans who love looking down for the future, that tweet came out and reminded fans that, yes, there is a uh, almost an embarrassment of riches coming to the Brandon Wee Kings based on a couple of trades a couple of years ago. And here in the pod, we love talking about trades and the trade trees and where everybody ends up. Uh, a couple of years ago, when there was a the couple of big ones made, which was uh, sending Tanner Kaspic to the Victoria Royals, which brought back uh, you know a few players at the time, which are currently on the team, and some uh, and some draft picks, and then Cale Clegg to Moose Jaw. Well, both of those included first rounders for coming up this this year. So in the 2021 WHL Bantam Draft, your Wheat Kings right now hold three first round picks, just like they did two years ago when they ended up taking the three guys who made their debuts here this year in Nate Danielson, Tyson Zimmer, Ryland Rorsma. So now all of a sudden you got those three first round picks. You got Quinn Mante coming down the pipeline, the first rounder from this past year for next year. Then you got these three guys. You could have those seven first round picks playing together for two full seasons if it works out well. All of a sudden you're, you're actually, like, yeah. wow. And then those two first rounders that we got from those teams, Victoria has one win this season. They are a lottery team. Right now, they are the lowest team in the WHL. That could be a first overall pick. It's not protected. So that could be a weaking pick. And Moose Jaw right now, that could be a top six pick with the way um, they're, the, you know, with their season and where they are in the league too. So your, your, your readies, even though winning the division, are going to have a couple of very high-end selections coming up this year. This is my notepad for those of you watching at home. Uh, I have used this for all of my random thoughts that I have here inside the hub. And what I did was... It's got to be full uh, by the now. Last, it's, yeah, I'm down to like the last sheet. <laughs> There's like nothing left. <laughs> You're writing on the cover. Uh, but this is one of those things where I back and okay, if you, if you think back to the last 10 years of Brandon Wee King hockey, which three trades sent the fans into the biggest tizzy? Okay. So obviously Kale Clegg. Fan favorite, Tanner Kaspik, team captain, Brandon Boy. The fans were furious. Fire Grant Armstrong was trending on Twitter at one point. And you go even further, Braden Shen being traded, okay? That was obviously bigger than the other two, but those were the three major deals in the last 10 years that Brandon fans were very upset about. Well, have a listen to this. If you take those three trades, Brandon gave up Braden Shen, a third-round pick, Tanner Kaspic, Kale Clegg, and Cameron McDonald, who went on to play in the NCAA. And in return, from that Braden Shen deal, through all the trade tree to this year, including Kaspic and Clegg, here is what is on the Brandon roster on the list moving forward. Logan Hammett played this year. Owen Wees, prospect. Jackson Dubé played this year. Liam Watkins, prospect. Zach Turner, signed prospect. Johnny Lambos, Ty Thorpe, Nate Danielson, Luca Burzan, Chase Harchie, who turned into Owen Harris, signed prospect. Rylan Rorsma, Brett Highland, the first-round pick from Victoria this year, first-round pick from Moose Jaw this year, and a 2021 this year conditional draft pick from Portland. <laughs> so 13 of the 50-man roster for the Brandon Wee Kings are direct results of the Braden Shen, Tanner Kaspic, and Kale Clegg deal. And so, Shen in Saskatoon. Saskatoon didn't win that year. Uh, when Kaspic went to Victoria, they were out in the first round. Two games or, in the playoffs. Yeah, the first, in the first round, and they were out. Uh, and the Warriors, Kale Clegg, uh, they were out in the first or second round that year as well. So, uh, so those fans, teams giving up a lot of players. Uh, you know, those those classic McCrimmon trades um, that uh, even though McCriminal. he wasn't in charge uh, at the time, you know, he still had his finger kind of probably on that. Uh, uh, the, so the one, and I'm just going to throw you, I'm gonna, I'm, I don't want to throw you under the bus here if you have it on your chart or not. The one uh, trade that I thought of 
that made fans upset that I can't remember the top of my head who we got back was the Jordan Paperni trade. Oh, I've got it. Give me a second. Yeah, because <laughs> what happened after that? Because, uh, I mean, Paps was obviously like one of the biggest fan favorites uh, in, in my years here. Uh, championship winning goalie. Understood at the time, you know, that a 20-year-old had to be moved. Uh, but he got traded to Swift Current. Can't remember what the but deal was. But you have to like. remember, Jordan Paperni was a direct result of the Braden Shen deal. Yeah, he was part of that too. Yep. Jordan Paperni was that first-round pick that Brandon got in 2011. Okay, so if you follow that around, you got Jordan Paperni, who wins a championship. He gets traded to Swift Current along with a fourth-round pick to get Travis Child, Cade Jensen, a fifth-round pick, and a second-round pick. That second-round pick was flipped to Red Deer. Brandon used that fifth-round pick to take Logan Hammett, traded Cade Jensen, and uh, so basically the Jordan Paperni trade in indirectly leads to Owen Wees, who's playing at the Rink Hockey Academy, and Logan Hammett, who played this year for the Brandon okay. Kings. Yeah. So it's all tied to the Braden Shen deal. Like, you, you find it hard to believe when you look at it how many players that the Brandon Kings have had or drafted or traded that are a direct result of the Braden Shen trade going back. And all Brandon gave up was Braden Shen, Stanley Cup winner, and a third-round pick. So it's shocking when you actually break it down uh, that Brandon's going to get three draft picks from those three trades. Uh, and It's just the plethora of riches. It's just unbelievable. So the, the future is bright for the Brandon Wheat Kings, to say the least. Uh, I do want to, before I forget, I do want to go back to uh, the Diana Kleinsaucer. Yeah, uh, oh, we got to tell that story. That's right, yes. So I'll let you tell your story in a moment. I just, so with Diana, she, of course, uh, was a young girl. I don't know what she'd be, about 18, maybe 19. Uh, and she uh, left uh, the Hutterite colony uh, for a year uh, and, and kind of reintegrated herself into everyday life. She'd never been to a hockey game. She'd never been a part of, uh, you know, the, the everyday society that we normally get because, of course, the, the sheltered type uh, community living on a Hutterite colony is a lot different than what you'd get in your regular city living. And she became a massive Wheat King fan. She had been before. She listened to Luber on the radio and she'd listened to me on the radio. But when she came to her first game and first practice, I mean, she just hook, line and sinker Wheat King fan. And actually she started keeping track of stats during the games from home, listening to the game on the radio or watching on the webcast. And then she'd start messaging me on Twitter if I got something wrong. And at first I was a little annoyed, like go away. Like, I'm doing my job here. Leave me alone. But then after a while, I was like, boy, she's right every time. Like, <laughs> she's, yeah. she's 100% correct on yeah. everything. And she is so meticulous in her note-taking. And I finally, I had an old scorebook, and, and I keep full records of everything. And I had an old scorebook I hadn't used. I didn't quite like the layout of it. I gave it to her and said, here, use this. And now to this day, she still sends me, she sends Perry stats, notes, lines, funny stories, things that we can use in our stories or broadcasts that we otherwise wouldn't think about. Uh, she also volunteered in the team store for a while as well. I know, but I believe now she's gone back into the community living in the, on the colony as well, but she still listens to every game. So anyway, yeah, we want to thank her because she's done a great job all hub long of just sending me notes and sending Perry notes and uh, just keeping us on track. She's the qual I call her the quality control engineer at CKLQ unofficially because of how smart she is when it comes to the numbers. Number of years ago, I, uh, we went to, we went to her colony for a read to succeed. Uh, you know, we go to the schools, uh, about once a year, we try to make it out to one of the colonies because, of course, they, you know, they, they, they always request us to come out. Um, always some Wee King fans, but it is a different world when they can't actually come and watch the games. They're just allowed to listen on the radio. But when we went to their school, so in the, in that, that colony school, it's one room, like K to 12. 
there's like a couple of kids like in each grade, right? And like one one teacher who's just kind of doing doing everything. So there's only, you know, maybe like a dozen kids total um, at that time in, you know, school age. Well, we were there with, it was, I want to say maybe Duncan Campbell. It, w- it was a Brandon guy, but we were we were out there. We we did the read, and afterwards we're doing the question and answer period. And a lot of the kids were just general questions about hockey, right? Like they didn't really understand some things, or they knew about the Weekings not a whole lot. Diana asked this question. She asked him about a comment. He, and this was like in the springtime. She asked about a comment that he made in the post game show in a game back in like November, <laughs> and the look on his face just. Like, huh? And then he had to explain, like, oh, yeah, no, here's, you know, yeah, I did say that or whatever. Crazy memory. And she had her book there and had the guy sign it. She would listen to every game on the radio. It was like her connection to the outside world, something live. You know, the, the, the Wheat Kings were that team that got to travel and the, you know, the guys who went pro and see the world. I mean, obviously for her listening, I think that was just something to be attached to. But this book, meticulous notes, she would track everything while the game was happening anything luber said she had quotation marks around it was uh it, w- it was it was quite the thing so it's no surprise that these years later that she is now uh in charge of keeping you in line because uh <laughs> it was kind of written in the stars yeah. a number of years it, ago but anyway a shout out to diana on the podcast yeah. she's uh she's great one more story i want to get to before we wrap up here as uh, we're on episode 53 uh of the weekly harvest for cute country and uh, careers light um, I do want to shout out Braden Schneider, um, and, and we we love Schneids on this podcast, and everybody in Brandon does. And and I know earlier in the week, if you follow me on social media, you saw my post about a young fella named Harlan Bell. Now, to give you a little backstory on Harlan Bell, uh, he is hard of hearing now, hearing impaired, and it's gotten worse since he was younger. So he's obviously struggling. He's at that age where he's starting school and he's starting sports, and you know, along with the pressures of being a young kid that go along with today being hearing impaired makes it difficult you know the confidence is down you got some anxiety that sort of thing so uh he plays on a u17 uh, team at pilot mound academy it's a spring league team coached by one of my good friends brett braybrook his son Jax is on the team and brett reaches out to me and said hey we've got this young kid named harlan he's got a special hearing aid that i can signal with a buzzer to get his attention because he can't hear the whistle and it took him a while to get going and build his confidence, but he's having an absolute blast on the ice. And he said his favorite player is Braden Schneider. Could we maybe see if we could get, you know, Schneids to sign a stick for him or something? And we'll, I'll, I'll pay for it and I'll gift it to him as a, you know, a good job, buddy, keep going kind of thing. And I said, okay, well, I'll reach out to Schneider to see what happens. So I started telling Braden the story and Braden goes, well, what about, what if I just send him a note? And I was like, sure, throw together a video. He goes, give me some details. So I told Braden the story, boom, sends this video. We forward it on to the parents. And it's, it, it comes back to me later that me going on social media was the first time that the parents, uh, Kelsey and I, I forget the dad's name, had ever gone public with Harlan's story about being hearing impaired and struggling with the confidence and that sort of thing to get going into everyday kid style life. So she was just over the moon with Braden's response. Uh, she had actually worked at Joe Beaver's at one point for Chad Walleen, Braden's billet cool. dad. And she sent me a great video of, of young Harlan uh, reading the Wheat King program, uh, going through every name in the book and reading the name. Like he's like, th- he's like three years old in this video. And he's like Evan Weinger, Lyndon McCorister, And he's just nailing it. So anyway, we talked a little bit, small world. Turns out her and I actually grew up together a few years apart in Nipah. And I didn't recognize the name because it was married. It wasn't her maiden name, but Anyway, uh, Harlan's a huge Weeking fan, and what a great decision by Braden just to send a note. Like, who does that? I didn't ask him to do it. I didn't 
make him do it. It was kind of his own choice. He didn't have to do it. Good guys. Sent some great uh, words of encouragement to young Harlan. The young fellow was just fired up. He's watched like 200 times, as mom said, and he's a big Schneider fan. So uh, I told her that hopefully when things go back to normal, we can uh, officially set up a, a nice face-to-face with him and Braden, and they can hang out and spend some time together. But, uh, yeah, great story, and uh, tip of the cap to Braden Schneider. Weekly Harvest available on, again, Apple, Google, Spotify, or, of course, QCountryFM.ca. All the podcasts available at QCountryFM.ca. Uh, Q Country, the official home of the Brandon Weekings, all the broadcasts, the Crow's Nest, and the podcast here. Weekly Harvest presented by Coors Light, the official beer of the Brandon Weekings. Before we wrap up, uh, just, again, the email inbox, always open for you. Any questions, uh, comments, it's QWeeklyHarvest at gmail.com. That's Q, the letter Q, weeklyharvest at gmail.com. Crow, coming up uh, for next week, we are going to be doing uh, more talk about uh, some some year-end things, uh, some more announcements. Um, But uh, for now, we just want to encourage people again, if you're listening to this and it's it's not Wednesday yet, Buy that final game if you don't have the subscription. Um, it's uh, you know it's, it's only like what like six seven bucks. Six bucks, yeah. You can you can get the you can get the you know all the games that day the, the full day. But you'll want to watch that final Brandon Wheat King game. It's not crow in the broadcast, not you know a home broadcast, but it's that last game of the season, and there is going to be that that post game. Uh, uh, whatever you want to call it, presentation, celebration, ceremony, where the the Subway Cup and or banner is going to be presented. So it's going to be special for Week King fans. Uh, you know, re- regardless if it's on a screen or in person, uh, I'm looking forward to that ceremony. So uh, tune on in for that Wednesday night. It is the podcast. So if you're listening to this past Wednesday, then uh, go check out our social media feed and our website. Uh, like everything else this year, it'll be up there. Shortly after it actually airs, we've been trying to do a pretty good job at that. So uh, big thanks for you guys following along this season. It's been a whole lot of fun for us to do. And uh, next week, Crows, we get into episode 54. We enter uh, a, a long off season again. But um, oh, but this, but Look, the, we cue the depressing but, music. But this one feels different than last one. I was going to say, let's yes. not be down because this one feels a whole lot different because, um, you know, just a whole lot of positives now. A whole lot of positives. You look at what yeah, the guys we're did turning this the page. year. Oh, uh, we're getting to summertime. I know that there's some new restrictions announced in Manitoba today, which are a little depressing. But uh, the Weekings are the East Division champions. You can't take that away from them. They'll wrap up the season here this week, and then uh, we'll do a kind of a post-mortem next week in Episode 54. So uh, great job again to you and Kelly and Katie in the office for all your hard work. Uh, it's been a lot of fun, and I uh, look forward to wrapping this up and really taking a moment to step back and looking at what we've uh, accomplished here. It's been a lot of fun. So it's going to be great. Thanks, everybody, for tuning on in. And uh, until next week, have a good one. Cheers. Be sure to follow Q Country and the Wheat Kings on Twitter and Facebook for all your Brandon Wheat Kings news. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Harvest.